0: and welcome to the Koala Club podcast, a podcast made by and for international students in Australia. I am Kevin
1: and I am Trang and we talk about everything education, work and lifestyle for overseas students in Australia.
0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Koala Club podcast. How are you Trang? I'm
1: um, well thanks and you Kevin?
0: Yeah, I'm very good, thank you.
1: Great so let's dive straight in. So today it's my absolute honor to introduce our guest speaker Professor Patricia Davidson who is currently Vice-Chancellor and President of the University of Wollongong and may I add first female Vice-Chancellor. Thank you Trang. (laughs) Yeah Professor Davidson uh, welcome and thank you for joining us on the Koala Club podcast.
2: My pleasure and I've loved listening um, to the Koala Club podcast and I thought of you actually I've just been in an event and there was food and I took food and brought it back to the office and telling all the students go get the food.
0: <laughs> I'm actually very amazed at uh, when I heard you listen to that episode when I was talking about how to attend <laughs> event on campus to get free food. No it's good. Oh thanks for that.
2: But you also gave a lot of other very helpful tips about phone packages and coupons no it was very useful
1: yeah we're glad to hear that you enjoyed the episode so professor Davidson so I think you're oh, also please
2: call, me Trish. Please oh, call yes. me Trish
1: I was about to ask that because I know you're known by colleagues as Trish so I was going to ask if you mind if we do address you as Trish so
0: no please thanks Trish. so before we start we would like to uh, break the ice by asking our guests uh, uh, random questions. So uh, Tris, uh, there was a period when you were working in the US before returning to Australia uh, last year. What did you miss the most about Australia while you were working in the US?
2: I think my friends and family the most. Um, but then, you know, it's weird. I also missed bread. <laughs> um, you know, in the US, you, had, you could get good bread, but it was not like In Australia, good bread is everywhere and particularly with so many Vietnamese bakeries and pork rolls and, you know, those things, which, um, you know, it's very interesting, even though there's a lot of Asian people in the United States, the Asian food tradition is not as strong.
1: Oh, wow. That's very surprising to hear. Yeah. Yeah. How about coffee? I heard coffee in America is different.
2: Coffee in America is different, but I had an espresso machine, so I was fine. But I agree, um, it's much harder to get coffee. But and as for Australians, coffee now that it's a bit of a religion. It's not just espresso coffee or espresso coffee. It's what bean and what shop and all of those things.
0: Yes, and I feel like we have a very strong local culture about coffee as well. As in, we tend to support more local coffee shops rather than turning to uh, franchises like um, Starbucks or Gloria Jeans. Yeah, and absolutely. I think that's quite, quite different in America. I think that's a good yeah. thing, actually. Absolutely. It's a great thing. Okay, so now that we break the ice, I couldn't think of anyone else more suitable for today's topic. The topic we're going to talk about today is how university education evolves over the years and the impact it can have to shape international students' future. So to kick off this um, episode, Trish we think you are an exceptional individual with a very fascinating background. Now you have great experience and knowledge in a variety of fields from nursing to education and also research leadership. How do you think your diversified background shaped your mission and purpose as a vice chancellor of a reputable university?
2: Well, you know, I think to be a teacher, to be a nurse, And to be a Vice-Chancellor, you have to like people and you have to be passionate about the cause you believe in. As a Vice-Chancellor, I really recognise, I think, education is a transformative force for good. I like to think about, um, it was actually quoted in Times Higher Education, "Universities beacons of hope in undiplomatic times. And I think it's been really my, you know, passion for health and social justice. It has fueled a lot of my career and being the vice chancellor of a fabulous university like the University of Wollongong sort of brings all of those things together. And plus, Kevin, I'm old now. <laughs> I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's all of those experiences that you have over life, the good things and the bad things, um, you know, shape you to be able to face new experiences, challenges and, and seize opportunities.
0: I wouldn't say older, but I would say uh, people getting wiser and uh,
2: You are so diplomatic, Kevin.
0: <laughs> no, and well, and especially when I met you first time, I feel I can feel your energy and your passion. So definitely, uh, by uh, my measure, you're not old at all. You you <laughs> still have a lot of energy and you are very passionate about what you do. And I think that sums up perfectly in your answer just then.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Not old, but wise. And I agree with you, Trish, education is so important and you do have a really important mission ahead of you. So I think we definitely have the right person to do this job. Thank you. So our next question is um, regarding how you've viewed the change in university education over the years. So you've obtained your bachelor's and master's degree in education at the University of Wollongong, then your PhD at the University of Newcastle. So how has university education evolved over the years in Australia from your perspective, from when you were a student until now when you're Vice-Chancellor?
2: Well, you know, I think so many things have changed and not only have cultural norms changed and attitudes in society, uh, but also technology has driven lots of improvements. It's hard to imagine, you know, at the library at the University of Wollongong, you would be in a lecture and you had to race to the closed reserves in the library to get copies of the articles which you could check out for an hour and you would then have to race off and photocopy them. So now I think it's fabulous that we can access so much more information digitally. I love the library now. You know, when I was there, it was no talking, no eating. Now it's a hub for interaction and support. So, you know, I really think that many universities have become much more student-centred, looking at the needs of individual students. And I personally think that technology has been such an enabler in terms of access to information and also broadening our networks and horizons. You know, now it doesn't matter if you're a first-year student and you see a a professor on an article anywhere in the world, you can access their email and write to them. Uh, whereas in those days, it was about writing a letter on a typewriter, putting it in the mail and just it, never knowing whether it would get there. So, you know, things, things have changed a lot. And, you know, and I think the majority for the better.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, uh, we agree. Technology has brought... People together and especially in the education space where collaborations and teamwork and group work are one of the most important things. What happened over the years for the better majority of it is very excellent for students.
2: And many more international students. Um, I think that's fabulous as well. And much better food, much better food on campus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we can all agree on that as well. Um, speaking about change, we listen to the We are UW Podcast Episode featuring Joan Daly and yourself. I'm particularly amazed at how you and Joan were pushing for nursing to be taught at university instead of at the hospital. Um, The year of 1984 was when nursing started being taught at the university. Do you recall if there were any international students learning nursing then, which compared to now, nursing is such a sought-after course for international students?
2: Yeah, look, tell... at that time, there were none. At that time, there were none. And I think it was because of, you know, some a very narrow focus of, you know, who could be a nurse and what it involved. I think in that episode, John talked about, you know, what it was like to be a man as a nurse. So, um, you know, I think definitely the opportunity to be in universities has enabled um, nurses to to obtain a different range of knowledge and skills, but also um, let people find out what nurses actually do.
1: Yeah, I agree. So previously, nursing is seen as a very traditional female-oriented role, and there's been like such transformative change, and you see male in nursing roles, and you, you don't think that of that um, specific stereotype anymore. And especially now with borders being so... Open well after COVID, obviously, um, but like people can fly anywhere. The international students can easily come to Australia to study, and that's become a more more attractive option for them to pursue, I like, guess, the nursing or the uh, or the healthcare uh, profession. So speaking of COVID, over the last two years, all the universities and students have had to adapt very quickly to the new way of remote learning learning virtually, and even now there are ongoing changes uh, with most recently with the announcement of exams being held online at University of Wollongong. So what are your plans to further improve the quality and delivery of the courses in this constantly changing environment of education that we are in? Well, I think a lot of it depends
2: on assessing what the students want and what is necessary for the course matter. You can probably even think when you're at university, which is not a long time ago, you drive for an hour, you look for a park for half an hour, and then you go in and you sit in a lecture theatre where someone's on the, you know, a podium. It's a very one-way conversation. So replacing those big lectures with online material is really important, but that online material has to be of quality. And also, you know, a lecture doesn't have to go for half an hour or an hour. We can use the science of pedagogy to maybe give people digestible amounts, might be 15 minutes, with more interaction and engagement. So I think it's going to really change the course offerings. I can see one day that you'll go to the course catalogue and you'll see it online, hybrid. So people can choose. And, you know, so many students that I meet have been, some of them have been actually very happy over the pandemic and have not found any disruption. But, you know, for many students, particularly, um, say, doctoral students and particularly those from overseas, it's been a very alienating and isolating uh, situation and I think for students to come onto campus, we have to make it worth their while. So I think trying we're in a very dynamic space, you know, I think 3D and immersive learning. I don't think we've even begun to think about how we will learn more effectively. You know, imagine, you know, having a VR headset or AR headset and learning anatomy or physiology or a language or how to communicate effectively we have to all learn to not only teach in different ways but also learn in different ways. And, you know, it's interesting, Trang, you brought up the examinations online. You know, I've kind of been part of where in my previous role we had many examinations online, even if they were on campus, Um, you know, and and I think it's part of um, just a different way. Instead of someone walking up and down halls, you know, Students have their own computer and their own headset. It's just a very different way. And personally, you know, I think I would love to move beyond this notion of invigilation as monitoring to students as trusted partners, you know. And often I I would talk to students is saying, no one when you go in for your job interview is going to look at you and say you've got a GPA of 3.9 or 4. It's not going to matter such a big deal. But your ethics, your integrity and your reputation matter. And the world is a very small place. And I think the most valuable thing you have is your reputation. And I really hope that we can help students to think that way and to also ask for help rather than an assistance, rather than feeling that they have to cheat on an exam. So I think it's great you brought this up, Trang, because I think it's a conversation we need to have. And I can tell you, it's definitely not about saving money. That's one thing about online education, if done properly, costs more money.
1: Yeah, exactly. Very well said, Trish. And I think most students would probably agree that seeing at home in your trackies doing an exam is probably more comfy than rocking up to the exam hall with a few hundred other students. And sharing the bathrooms midway through the exam so
2: oh absolutely yeah in in that sports hub it's enough to put you off sports for life you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and touching on that remote learning um, and you mentioned how um, not only the teachers have to change their way of teaching but students have to change the way of learning but that has real life application too because when you go into the workforce these days many work Places offer hybrid work, so you're working from home, you're working in the office, and I guess a lot of people do induction over over Zoom these days. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the office, and people sort of uh, do a combination of work from home and in office, have meetings both virtually and face to face. So I think it's definitely a good, really good um, setup for students to practice learning in remote environment, and then yeah, they're fully ready when they enter the workforce.
2: Yeah. Look, and, you know, trying, you mentioned me studying it. In the 80s, we talked about adult learning and adult learning principles, but we never really did that. Um, it was still very, uh, you know, sage on the stage, the teacher really ostensibly having a lot of the power. And now, you know, what is sometimes challenging for students and even for for people working from home is your self-monitoring and, you know, how you manage your time and how you face those challenging tasks. We all have things that, you know, we put at the bottom of the pile. So I agree, Trang, uh, that I think we will be establishing methods that are going to um, prepare students to do better in the workplace, particularly as workplaces are very evolving Many people work in multinationals and their boss might be in New York or Bombay or Mumbai. And you know, you'll have to do that. And actually, speaking of international students, what has been really exciting, one of the opportunities of the pandemic is, you know, we've been able to, because of Zoom, some of the students have been doing, in particular in the MBA and the business classes, been doing the classes with people in Dubai. And boy, that's really sort of modeling what working in business is like um a very kind of multinational and diverse working place
0: no excellent that's very well said we absolutely agree with that just by hearing what you said i can already picture how this remote learning now complete possibility for international students can shift the future learning space for them because like you said um, you know remote learning you can see it with a VR headset and then you can you know uh, study your classmate maybe from halfway around the world um, now on the other hand what do you think what can Australia as a country do to encourage the international students to be back on campus in Australia So? because uh, personally if I was still an international student myself I would have missed the interaction I have or the experience I have only when I'm on campus and not via remote learning yeah
2: well I think I think, Kevin, you've made an excellent point. It's what is the individual student's needs? You know, um, I was speaking to someone in the UAE yesterday and said, look, if I could do this course and not leave the UAE, that would be good. He's someone who's already got two master's degree and has an established career. But many people come to Australia to look at a potential migration pathway or to experience a different culture. So we are really looking forward to getting more of our international students back on campus because that enriches the experience for everybody. And we, we really definitely hope that more people will come because that will um, make our learning richer and more diverse. And equally, you know, many of our Australian-born students would love to go and spend the semester. And many of them do spend time abroad to learn of a different culture. And, you know, the other thing is when we talked earlier about education as a force for good, I think we really need to think about the power of education for social mobility and developing economic prosperity. And in many low and middle income countries, being able to come to a country such as Australia or the US or the UK or Canada is going to not only just benefit them individually, but benefit their families and also transform society. Uh, One of the things that I think is fabulous about nursing is that it's a profession that provides a lot of social mobility because in many countries, you know, um, nursing in all countries is a profession that is performed by nurses. that is great that many women can have access to a university education through a profession that is, you know, socially approved. So I see that as as an important force. But equally, you know, I see the importance of encouraging men into nursing in many um, particular emerging economies because, can I tell you, you will never be out of work if you're a nurse and it's on the priority a migration pathway in many countries, and it's, it's a fabulous career. So I, I really think that it's important to think about just the notion of internationalisation and how we all benefit from being together and learning together. But also I think it's great to see that if we have more educated people in countries, a whole range of health indicators change. You know, maternal mortality decreases, the more educated children are, you know, less teenage pregnancies, you know, it's just such a driver for social good. Even, you know, if you do whatever course you do, from teaching, engineering, cybersecurity, all of that that knowledge is going to provide economic and social mobility.
1: Wow, that's amazing to hear that from you and to hear that insight from, from your perspective, especially about the health indicators and how that changes with increased in internationalization and mobility, and I guess getting talent into Australia. So with um international students, it's really important that they sort of understand Australia's work cultures of because obviously they come from very different cultures and Um, to be able to integrate into Australia's work culture that can be like an important factor for them to be successful at getting a job after they graduate and in the workplace itself so what has our education done and will do to prepare them further with learning and embracing the Australian way of working so that they will not only survive but thrive in their future career
2: that's a, an excellent question, and it's something we've been giving a lot of thought to. Firstly, we're putting a greater emphasis on work-integrated learning so that students are getting quality work placements during their degrees, whether it be accounting or engineering or media communication, because that's a really good way of showing someone your talents. The other thing that I've been sort of even advocating and lobbying for is better visa pathways because we know that even though many people, you know, yes, you can stay in Australia, but does someone want to recruit someone who they think will go home in a year? So that can be a challenge. So I think we need to work with government and I think to make the visa pathway, the pathway to permanent residency more seamless and Moving from the fact that we're doing someone a favour to seeing investing in international students as being investing in Australia's future and Australia's workforce, there's still a lot of obstacles there. But I think the pandemic has shown how dependent we are on international workers from a whole range of settings, not just in terms of international students, but how that mobility has contributed to Australia's prosperity. And everywhere you go now, one of the greatest challenges is workforce shortages. But also, you know, I think we have an important role to play with working with industry because we know there is a lot of stigma and there is people come to the interviews with their implicit biases. And there's been experiments you know, people have changed names from a international-sounding name to James Smith, and just seen that people have been shortlisted, whereas other people, you know, don't get there. So I think we've got a lot of work to do um, in terms of educating the communities, educating business leaders, educating government, but also preparing students t- to be able to be um, advocate for themselves a little bit more. And in many cultures where people are, there's greater deference to authority, where if you come and you don't have the same level of confidence because it's not your first language and, you know, you're you're kind of alone. I mean, once you're taken out of your home environment, it's kind of like a lot of your tethering and roots are there. So it's natural and normal to feel insecure. So how do we work with students to prepare them better? Or, um, to be career ready. I think they're important things. And then the other thing that I would often say to my students who were international is you have to change what you feel as a negative into a positive. The fact you're bilingual, tick, is, is just a huge advantage in any business to be bilingual. So sell that, you know, believe in yourself make your things that you perceive to be a deficit as an asset. And I just think they're important skills that people need to develop and learn.
0: Yeah, that's great. Very well said. And I absolutely agree the part when you say uh, we as international students need to start transforming what we think is our negative into our positive or what we think as weakness into our strength. We spoke recently with a friend of us in a previous episode you know, about the Australian work culture and how to embrace it. And one of the things she said that stick with me is she said we as international students can be quite cautious or like too humble about ourselves. And we feel like to list our achievement or to talk about what we have done for the business or just to present our work, for example, can somewhat, feel like bragging whereas um, in the Australian work culture that is a much needed quality to be confident to present your work and to show what you have done so others can say learn from you or others can base on that and uh, develop to uh, much better work so I absolutely agree with what you said there
2: and I think you know if you look at a continuum if you say look at Australians are much more kind of if you like reticent than the United States but also what you have to think about in the context of multinationals the U.S. corporate culture is very prevalent and so what they say at Harvard present like you're a world expert till you are a world expert yeah and and then the other thing is it's there's nothing wrong with being ambitious and focused that's what an employer wants to hear You know, taking the time to learn those skills, you know, people often call them soft skills, but I call them essential skills, Mm -hmm. listening, communication, you know, all of those things are critical skills. And particularly as we're in a society where automation increases, those people-focused skills are going to be of much greater importance um, than many other technical skills. Uh, where you can just plug it into a computer um, people will be looking at how you work in a team how you communicate how you sell an idea all of those things are going to be much more important
1: mm, yeah i, I love hearing your tips patrish and i love how um, we actually learn those soft skills that you need to and unconsciously too so whether we're doing a team presentation or even just speaking up in class to ask a question but then we are also consciously learning by attending all those workshops we have at uni where they prepare us on interviews or how to write resumes and prepare us for internships. So, yeah, I love how university prepares us for that. And the fact that it's unconscious, too, because when you graduate, you actually realise you're a different person to when you first stepped on campus three or four years ago.
2: That's, that's wonderful to hear that. You know, students notoriously hate group assignments, You know, you'll often get complaints. They're hard because it's hard to work in a team.
0: Yes, absolutely.
2: And so, you know, as in terms of developing skills, you know, how do you deal with the super anxious person that's emailing you every five minutes? How do you deal with the person who's missing in action? You sort of develop skills to manage a range of people. And then often students don't think that the teachers know what's going on. People, you know, People can, can work them out. And then it's also, you know, about the grade. You know, yeah, if you did it on your own, you might have got an A plus and you did it in a team and you did a, got a B plus. But in the end, you know, the skills that are going to take you for, You know, I was not the smartest person in the, my class. People are much, much smarter people than me. But I, as well as working hard, um, you know, have a different set of skills which make it easier to be part of a team, like being part of a team. I always say to students, don't get bogged down in the mark. It's not that you don't want to strive, but that's not what's going to define you. It's, as Trang mentioned, what are the graduate attributes? What do you want to leave university being? That's why I think at the University of Wollongong, we want our students to leave being global citizens, to recognise that it's not just about being in Wollongong or Liverpool or Nara or Dubai. It's about being part of a global community. And that is just so critically important.
0: Mm, very inspiring. One of the things I feel like graduating is we got to learn how to learn. Um, you know, after university educations, we got that thirst for knowledge. Doesn't matter what you study, doesn't matter if what you do after. Um, graduating is not what you study but you got that skill to learn new things and you got that thirst for knowledge to be able to learn and to ad- adapt uh, to the new environment and I think that's crucial for international students.
2: Absolutely, absolutely because if you think about a, what a graduate attribute is, it's to be a lifelong learner because what I learned at university in, or at nursing school in the late 70s is not what is needed to take care of patients now in 2022. So we've all got to be able to develop, grow and evolve to be viable and valuable in the workplace.
1: Great. So, Trish, it was really fascinating hearing uh, your stories and your insight, and we've really enjoyed chatting to you today so thank you so much for being on the show with us today and i'm sure our listeners would really enjoy this episode as well
2: thanks so much trang and kevin for having me i just want all of our students to feel valued i know it's not easy being far away from home it's not easy to be part of a culture sometimes when you're not valued where you see images that criticise your country, your beliefs, your religion, your family, the people you love. But I think that's where you have to rally to have an intrinsic sense of purpose and value and to remember to just follow your North Star and follow what you believe in. And I really want every student that comes to Australia, whether it be to the University of Wollongong or anywhere, to feel valued and an integral part of Australian society. So thank you so much for having me.
0: No, Thank you very much, Chris. What you just said, very especially meaningful for us and I'm sure all our listeners will appreciate that and the wisdom you shared today as well.
1: My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. And if you haven't already followed us on Instagram or Facebook, please do at The Koala Club Podcast. Thanks.